0: I was in high school, my friends and I had this game that we would occasionally play in one of the alleys of South St. Louis City, and it usually involved taking a tennis ball or something like that that had this absorbent property, and we would soak it in something that was flammable, preferably something that wouldn't burn us for very long, and the idea was that we would take this flaming tennis ball and we would bat it back and forth with our bare hands. But here's the catch, as long as you did not hold on to it for very long, you wouldn't get burned. Now I say this not to encourage anyone else to try it. So perhaps they're the foolishness of my own ways. You see, the problem is, is that we think we have control over things, and when we play hot potato, everyone else seems to get burned. I would invite you this morning, if you have brought your Bible along with you, to time to Genesis chapter 3, we begin in the 8th verse, or to follow along with the sermon outline available for you in that. Being confronted with our baggage and our brokenness is never easy. We don't like having people point out our failures in false and pull away the bandage and potentially rip open the wound. We don't like having our brokenness pointed out because we want to make sure that we have it all under control. And when it is confronted, it's never easy. Frankly put, it really never should be the way that the law is intended to work as we spoke earlier in the confession of sins, is that it convicts those who are comfortable in their sins and calls them to repentance. In other words, when we are doing things that are both dangerous and hurtful, when we are doing things that place our own physical, spiritual, mental, emotional well-being at risk and impacts that of those around us, we ought to be called out and confronted for the precarious position we have been placed in. When we disobey distance ourselves from God and from one another. In the verses that precede our Old Testament passage for this morning, in the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 3, this is the account of the fall where Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good evil. God has given them everything that they needed. He has provided for all potential and possible scenarios. He has given them absolutely everything. And he says there's this one tree you can eat from anything else in the garden. Just don't eat from this one tree. And the second they disobey. then suddenly there is this immediate separation between them and God and from them and one another. They recognize that they are naked and they are ashamed and immediately clothe their bodies to hide themselves from one another and to cover up the image of God that they had been created in. Misery may love company. Breaking God's law is all about the individual. Very rarely when we disobey God do we think, you know, I think this would be really, really, Good for someone else. You know, I think it would really be good for my family if I went off and did this thing that I know I shouldn't do. Instead, believe, disobey God. It's all about us as an individual, it is all about needing. Our needs. We isolate, disassociate and distance ourselves to avoid the consequences of the offense. I shared before that my first car that I ever bought was a 1974 Volkswagen Beetle. I loved this car. And I had just learned how to drive a stick shift, and if you've ever driven a stick shift on any other car, it's nothing like driving it on an air-cooled. There's something different about it, and I had it parked a little cattywampus in my parents' garage, where I had been doing some work on it. And as my brother and I got into the car and I started to pull out to go out on our way, I popped the clutch a little too fast and boom! Right into the brick wall on the left side of the garage. Door. That little Volkswagen pushed the brick wall about three inches towards being off the foundation. And I was terrified of what my dad was going to do when he came home. So I called my aunt and I said, get over here. I'm going to need a witness. (laughs) And my dad comes home and he's being really patient. And I can tell he just wants to explode. And the whole time he's really calm. And he says, what happened? What have you done? And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, It's not my fault! (laughs) Wrong answer! We like to distance ourselves from the problem so that it's not something that we have to have any ownership in. So we can place the burden of consequence and responsibility elsewhere. We pass the buck and blame the issue on anyone but ourselves to keep our hands clean. You can think of this when we hear the Good Friday story where Jesus has been on trial and they take him before Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate comes back to the chief priest and says, I cannot find anything wrong with this man. Do he puts before the people? A murderer or a king. And they say, give us the murderer instead of the king. Crucify the king. And Apostle Pilate takes Jesus back to the chief priest and hands him this man who is innocent of any crime he could be convicted of, and it says he takes his hands and he washes them clean and says, he's your problem now. Do with him what you will. He claims to be the victim, to neglect our ownership and the hurt caused by our actions. You see, the way that this whole scenario plays out in the Garden of Eden this morning is fascinating. Because it says that the Lord God was walking amongst the trees of the garden in the cool of the day. And He begins to call out for Adam, and Adam says, here I am. He says, where were you? He says, I hid because I was naked. And God says, who told you that you were naked? See, up to this point, they could have cared less. It didn't make a hill of of difference because all they saw in one another is how they were created in the image of God. And so as God begins to unravel everything that has taken place, everything that he already knows and is trying to get Adam and Eve to speak for themselves, even though this whole thing begins with the serpent and Eve, he turns, turns to Adam and says, What have you done? Adam claims victim status and says, Lord, it was the woman you gave me. It's her fault. And almost as though he's saying, Lord, because you gave her to me, it's actually partly your fault too. And then he turns to Eve and says, What have you done? And she says, It was the serpent. He deceived me, and I ate. The call to confess our sins is awkward, uncomfortable, and yet still liberating. The weight of what we've hidden eventually outweighs the consequence. So we need to be unburdened by it. You see, we have this thing in our house where when our kids have to apologize for something, they don't just get to say, I'm sorry, and we move on. They say, I'm sorry, and normally, if it's not just generally often we go, for what? You see, we have this idea as a people sometimes that even where there is forgiveness of sins and suddenly we forget the offense... And yet, even within forgiveness, there is still consequence. It doesn't take away the shame or sting of the offense. But now we no longer have to labor to keep it hidden. You see, here in this passage, God is actually calling Adam and Eve to account to confess their sin of disobedience. And he calls them to reconcile with him before he ever turns to address Satan himself as the serpent. In the old church tradition, the Luther's. Day when they would do confession and absolution, it wasn't something that was done as part of the corporate worship service. It was something that the priest did back in the back room before he came out to administer the sacrament. In other words, the priest went through confession and absolution so that he was then worthy to now present these gifts of God. We never went beyond that. We were created to look upon our Creator face to face. Mankind was made with the unique ability to be in relationship with God. God declared. But everything that he had made was good and very good. And then he handed all of creation over into the hands of a creature who had been crafted in his own image. Now pause for a minute and imagine this because this is absolutely crazy. If you've ever tried to build Legos or anything with a little kid, you might build this awesome house or this really cool car and then you hand it off to them and you say, Look! And the first thing they do is take pieces off and put their pieces back on. God creates us in His image. And then in our brokenness, we tend to to craft the rest of our world and our own. God was walking in the garden and calls to Adam from the middle of the mess that they had just made. See, in our house, when our kids get quiet, we get concerned. <laughs> because that means that we have now crossed the line into something dangerous or destructive. And so here God comes and he's walking through the garden and he can't hear his children. You can see where this is going. He starts to get concerned. And he calls out to Adam and Adam himself himself from God. And even though they tried to hide from his presence, he still comes to them anyway. God gives us the free will to love Him. And then equips us with His Spirit to walk with Him in faith. But never at any point in the narrative does He actually force us to. our complements like to ask the question, well, if God knew that Adam and Eve were going to disobey Him, then why did He put the tree in the garden in the first place? Fair question. But the hard answer is that we have the free will to choose whether or not we will love God And that we are equipped through the Spirit to follow him. This doesn't mean that we make a choice for Jesus, but instead it means that we have the choice to disobey. We have the freedom to rebel. Our inclination to hide ourselves from God's presence is unnatural. We are called to live in transparency in life. Throughout Scripture, the people of God, as they stand in His presence, they cover themselves, they cover their faces for fear, for shame, for stubbornness. But transparency in confessing our sins keeps us accountable of our own failings and faults. Instead of saying, it's not my fault, we say, it was me. I did it. I committed that offense, and I need to ask for forgiveness because of it. But the buck stops with Jesus as he restores and reconciles man's relationship with God. So we use the phrase, passing the buck, and what this actually comes from is a French phrase that means scapegoat. In other words, the burden of sins after the buck which was sent for passed was then sent out into the wilderness. Forgiveness frees up our ability to own our own stuff and then follow Christ unburdened from blame. Our nakedness, our vulnerability before God allows us to be equally accountable with each other. The ability to walk with broken people begins in recognizing how broken we are too. It kind of goes with the old adage that a good friend bails you out of jail and a best friend is sitting in the cell beside you. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This path is already well trodden by those who have gone before us in faith. So much so that Jesus himself has already paved the way. We have a responsibility to reconcile with one another as we reflect Christ within us. We shouldn't be shocked by the depth of darkness because of sin. By definition, sin is the absence of God. And if we aren't shocked by the depth of that darkness, then we aren't surprised in the ways that the light of Christ still reaches into it. Even in this very first act of rebellion. And in their haste to pass the buck, God still provides for a way for redemption, reconciliation, and reunion. So that instead of saying, not my fault, and then going, it was me, that God then speaks the words to say, you are forgiven. He releases us into the world with a hope and a love worth sharing. So that God always gets the glory now and forevermore.